All right, so welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by just Benjamin Carlson. No Brian Wells today. Uh, it is a throwback to the early days of He's Done It when we were just called the Ben and Corey podcast, just Ben and I. And I got to ask Ben, are you feeling nostalgic about this? Um, Not really. I, I do podcasts <laughs> all the time now, so... <laughs> it's um especially not nostalgic because we're not really talking about sports it would be a little more nostalgic if there were sports going on right now but there's not that's right uh this is a, a special episode for you we will have some sports talk but the the biggest appeal is we have our first ever he's done it interview colton corley our friend from the university of south carolina attempted the mcdonald's tray challenge on Saturday, April 4th, and both He's Done It and Affable Chat, Ben's other podcasts, were the sponsors of this event. So uh, we helped put it together, and afterwards uh, we, we caught up with Colton, kind of talk about what went down in the challenge. He had 90 minutes to eat three double quarter pounders with cheese, one single quarter pounder with cheese, two 10-piece chicken McNuggets, two medium fries, and four medium soft drinks. Uh, he thought he could do it. In the end, it turned out to be too much food. So we, we catch up with him, kind of give him a chance to explain his side of the story, talk a little about the background, what went into it, as well as talk about what happened to the $350 that we promised to Feeding America if he completed the challenge. So all that is in this interview. Um, after that, we will kind of have a, a little bit of an affable chat crossover in a sense as we'll be reviewing the netflix limited series tiger king so i i'm super excited to talk about that if you haven't already you know watched it and finished it you might and you plan on doing so you probably will want to do that before listening i'm sure there will be plenty of spoilers uh, but for those of you who have already watched it it's been out for a while now we're we're definitely excited to give our thoughts on it and finally, in honor of Colton's McDonald's challenge, we'll be counting down our favorite national chain restaurant burgers in today's top five. But before we get into any of that, we do have some sports news to share, and it's a, some bombshell sports news with the biggest thing. This Saturday, President Trump had a conference call with uh, 12 different commissioners across major sports leagues, and he said that... He anticipates fans to be in the crowds starting around August or September, which would mean the NFL would be able to start on time as planned. So, Ben, what are your immediate reactions to this news? Uh, it's tough to trust any sort of projections right now. This is unprecedented, COVID-19. And there are a lot of scientists saying that this could last a long time and that Maybe the only real way things will go back to normal is if we get a vaccine. And that's like a year to a year and a half out at least. So this, I obviously I want there to be sports. I already miss sports. I wish there were sports now. But this to me sounds very hopeful. This sounds, this is reminiscent of the virus. It's, it'll be like a miracle. It'll be gone by April. Gone. It's, it'll, it'll be amazing. And everyone will be so surprised when it's gone in April. What day is it, Corey? It's April. It's April, it's and the virus is still here. I I don't know how far I can try. This sounds very on brand for the president, and I you know there's a lot of people who are um looking for a hopeful message right now. 
you know, who are looking uh, for an optimistic outlook on this. Um, and I appreciate that. But I don't know if I agree with this uh, prediction that everything will be back to normal and we'll be having the exact same protocol and exact same sized crowds um, by August or September. But I really don't know. Maybe. Nobody knows. And that that's part of it is like, when you hear news like this, my immediate reaction was, okay, well, what does Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Deborah Dirks, how, what are these like actual scientists who are probably the most trustworthy people in the country right now, just given how much information they have and the, the power that they have when it comes to spreading the coronavirus information, have to say about this? At the same time, I would much rather hear hope and optimism than just outright pessimism because as much as we can say we have no idea if we're going to be able to return to normalcy in five months we also don't know that we're not going to be able to so to me i i much more embrace people saying yeah this is a long time from now still i mean we're, we're not talking like two weeks from now we're talking four or five months before we can realistically believe that this is going to happen that's far enough out to me that I feel like it is somewhat realistic, at least to an extent, uh, that we can get to that point. And I'd much rather hear that than somebody say, oh, there's no way football is going to be played. Or, oh, baseball, like any talk about baseball, see, yeah, that's not going to happen. NBA, NHL, they're not going to come back. There's not going to be a playoffs. I would much rather hear the positive news right now than the negative news. And on top of that, there has been a lot of encouraging talks about ways to get some of these sports leagues back together uh, and I, I think one of the bigger news was actually uh, with Major League Baseball and um, I don't know have you heard of Jeff Passan uh, no. I know you're not a big baseball fan uh, he's essentially the um, ESPN's like baseball version of like Adam Schefter Adrian Wojnarowski okay is their their number one inside reporter and he had a pretty bombshell news he dropped uh, just after midnight saying that the MLB, uh, both the owners and the players, the organization in general are making serious progress on potential plans to have the season take place entirely in Arizona. Just get all of the players out there, all the essential personnel, no fans, but this could happen with opening day realistically in June. Now, a lot needs to be figured out on this uh, in terms of the logistics behind it, as well as you would need a significant increase in testing availability because you're not going to be able to just say, okay, every MLB player needs to be able to be tested at all times. Uh, we need to get to that point. But it, it sounds like these organizations, all these sports leagues are coming up with realistic plans to be able to continue as close to normal as possible. So I, I just think there's a ton of reasons to be encouraged by news like that, even if it still is a long shot in uh, many senses. Well, that's the kind of news I can um, believe in. And again, I think I've it's already come across that I, I tend to uh, think that this is going to last a little bit longer. There are plenty of people who are saying it's already starting to end. Yesterday, Clay Travis uh, was going off on Twitter talking about how this thing is already ending. He's been saying for a long time the media is overhyping it. They're doing it be like because they have like crooked intentions and they want to scare the populace. They want to crash the market. And there's so much misinformation out there that it's hard to discern what's real. Um, hearing things that are making a plan to exist within a coronavirus world, those to me sound a little bit more 
like they could happen. Like, like something weird like that, where they suddenly move all of baseball into one place and no one can come or, or go. It's every, you live in baseball world or not. And mm-hmm. you, like, that sounds like it could happen. And it would give us something to watch if we're still quarantined at that point, And that would be fantastic. Yeah, um, and I, that's all I want right now. And like anyone who's saying that, oh, sports without fans, like with, with weird circumstances won't be the same thing. Like, why would you just not want to have any live sports for another year plus because we wait until everything is totally back to normal? Because first of all, we still we don't know when normal will be. You know, that's one thing. It, it could be five months from now. It could be sooner. It could be way later. So why not just get what we can get? The, and it's not even just baseball that's trying to do this. The NBA is talking about holding the, the postseason entirely in Las Vegas. And making use of those casinos and hotels that have been shut down for months or will have been shut down for months by the time they start. The NHL is saying, let's just go to North Dakota, middle of nowhere, not a whole lot of people. Like these areas where you can easily kind of, I, I don't want to say easily because it, it does, it spreads fast, but contain it as best as possible compared to having everyone traveling around the country, having fans showing up. Uh, I, I just think that. There are realistic ways that we can get sports back and start to resume that sense of normalcy, even if we're all still stuck in quarantine. And I think for that reason, it's it's not far-fetched to be having this kind of positive, optimistic outlook. But of course, all of this depends on a rapid increase in testing and just overall the social distancing that we've been doing actually being proven to work and help flatten the curve. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that uh, troubles me about this coronavirus uh, whole situation has been some of the misinformation coming directly from the CDC. Um, And I have talked about this on a bunch of times on the mic already, but um, the CDC said not to get masks originally, and now they're recommending masks and even saying Mm -hmm. make your own masks. And the reason they said that was because they didn't have enough masks for medical professionals. So they didn't want the public buying masks. They wanted the people who are on the front lines of fighting this disease to have them. So what if they're saying the coronavirus is going to last forever? Just go ahead and lock yourself in your house and don't come out. And they're saying that because they want you to do that for now, which will get rid of the virus sooner. And then they'll be like, actually, we lied, but now the coronavirus is over sooner, so you can thank us, uh, because we knew if we told you it was going to end sooner, you guys would have made it worse, and then it would have lasted longer. You know, if they're playing mind games with us like that, then I, I really don't, I'm really in the dark on this, you know? Um, so I, I, It, it I, also makes sense, though, the way you talk about that, because... I think that's one thing when it comes to like outright canceling things or having these like seemingly never ending lockdowns. It's I feel like it's so much easier for people to actually commit to this and do what they need to do to help make this better. When you say, okay, we're shutting down for the next month, you know, the next two, three weeks versus we're going to shut down till mid June, like some states and have done and that that's like okay this just seems kind of crazy like if you're one of those residents you're like really you're gonna expect me to stay inside for the next two and a half months uh versus two and a half weeks i think that's something that more people can commit to and then when you inevitably extend it it's like okay we've been doing this for two and a half weeks we can do it for a couple more and eventually it could build up and it still be that time but i feel like that that's the better way at least the way that i'm looking at it is i would rather be told 
April 30th. That's when the the Raleigh, North Carolina lockdown ends. And then from there, we can kind of resume on May 1st. And then if it gets closer, it's like, yeah, not really. Okay, another two weeks. That's fine. Versus, yeah, you can't leave until June 30th. That just right. is like so much worse to me. So that's that's another thing when it comes to this optimism is just keeping things in check when you look at the the short term versus the like long term. Right. But then you got to think about because um, everyone's just like, I can't wait till things get back to normal. I can't wait till we get we set back to what the uh, the normal setting on the world is. But I don't think that that exists. I think things will be different after coronavirus. Like there will definitely see, be a lot of differences. I mean, we could see major shifts in the way that sports even works because now people are way more conscious of infectious diseases. And maybe, like, for instance, this isn't sports specific, but uh, handshakes. There's been a lot of conversations about are we going to continue with handshakes uh, moving forward or is that going to be kind of phased out as a because you know handshakes are part of business at least in america where you you even learn in in like workshops for getting a job how to do a firm handshake don't dead fish it you know don't don't have that clammy wet hand you have a nice firm dry handshake what if that what if that changes what if in the future they're like give a firm and like uh you know a star trek uh yeah, greeting like a nice little wave <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, that's what I, so i'm interested to see what those changes are and i'm i'm open to embracing the changes as opposed to trying to clinging to trying to cling to some sort of normal past uh that we had you know it's gonna be yeah, I mean, it's gonna be that much harder if you're not willing to adjust to the new normal mm-hmm I, I agree. I mean, I, I think there's going to be plenty of changes, but I feel like for every person I've seen say that, oh, handshakes are going to go away. Another person says, as soon as we're allowed to, I'm going to hug everybody I see. So I think that uh, that's it, it's still something that a lot of people are going to embrace. But the longer this goes, the the further we are from what was normal. And then all of a sudden that just leads to things to become the new normal. Right. So. Um, I, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see, but it just keeping it from a sports perspective though, I, I think that's, that's my biggest thing that I want right now. Even if I'm stuck inside, just to be able to watch live sports sounds so much better than the, what we've had to do when it comes to entertainment. So I have definitely done my best to avoid sports content since uh the coronavirus began i mean at first i was like what are they even going to show and it's been like throwback games it's been does lebron think that pineapple belongs on pizza or not you know it's just this is a waste of time there's never a time really that sports isn't happening there's always it's always for the most part it's almost always season for somebody even if you're it's the off season there are off season moves being made there's something to talk about in the sports world that's why I have ESPN there's why there's a million different i mean that's why we our podcast is coming out all year long yeah so this is a kind of limited time thing where you can just be like okay sports can i don't care i can focus on something else right now because there's not really anything going on so i've been avoiding bleacher report and all these others like sport sports specific uh, content creators just because I know right now I don't have to pay attention. Yeah, I've I've tried to embrace it a little bit, but I, I've definitely still been getting into it. Like as have much you have you watched possible. have you watched like Spurs Heat game six when it like re aired? 
no, because that's one of the more painful games for me as someone who's not a LeBron fan and someone who was <laughs> heartbroken when Ray Allen left the Celtics <laughs> to the Heat. But I did watch the beginning of the Monday Night Football game between the Saints and the Falcons. Um, I don't know if you know much about that, but it was uh, the Saints' first home game in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. I only watched the very beginning just because I wanted to see um, Steve Gleason, who was uh, the Saints' uh, I- Defensive lineman, I think. It was a special teams play. He blocked a, a punt, and uh, the Saints recovered and in the end zone for a touchdown, and that was like the the initial you know touchdown New Orleans, just the Saints are back. Um, so that was cool to watch it again, because I remember watching it live 13 and a half years ago. Uh, it was cool to see that presentation. There have been a few games that I've watched here and there, but for the most part, I have not been tuning into ESPN just to watch random games. I've, I've been watching... Other things, yeah, like Tiger King, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Definitely. Um, no, I mean, um, it, it. I guess it, it was kind of it's weird because we talked about this when we were uh, talking about the NFL players agreement or uh, not the um, what is it called? The um, bargaining collective bargaining agreement. Um, yeah. When they were negotiating that, I theorized about a year without football and all the opportunities I'd have outside of football. And I wouldn't even be missing out because everyone would be going a year without football. You know, I wouldn't feel this FOMO. It's like, oh, while you were taking a year off from football, the Jimmy Garoppolo became the greatest quarterback ever and the 49ers won the Super Bowl, but you weren't paying attention and you totally missed it. You know, yeah. that would be a heartbreaker for me. But instead, there's no sports, so I don't have to worry about it. And now I kind of got my my uh, my theory kind of exists in a different way. Hopefully, we won't have to miss any of the NFL. But um, right now, I'm not missing basketball. I'm not <laughs> I'm not missing the Thunder. So because uh, everyone's missing it. So yeah. I don't know. I, I I while it's tough, I'm also trying to take full advantage of this and focus on other things. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely something that. Uh we all kind of need to do. We do need to kind of keep our optimism in check to an extent when it comes to sports, but uh, there's certainly been reasons lately to be encouraged about it coming back. And, you know, blind optimism is what it takes to get us through this. And I'm all for that. So, you know, before we, we move on, um, I do have a, a quick question for you. So you have been to Athens, Georgia, home of the university of Georgia a few times, right? um once at least once okay twice twice, yeah, twice. It, twice. okay yeah. you i know you you had a great time there I've, I've heard it's one of if not the best college towns in the entire country um, i loved it yeah it was a good time do you remember any like local restaurants that you went to while you were there even like bars that you ate at uh, i've heard of the varsity as one yeah i um, went to the varsity yeah. Dude, it is. There are a ton, right? My There's oh, so many. There, there are so many. It's it. That's the thing that the magical thing about Athens is it's it's just this sprawling landscape of like unlimited places to go that are all in walking distance. Like you just cross the street. Here's another place. All right, we've been here for 15 minutes. Let's ditch it. Let's go somewhere else. And there was very few lines. A lot of like just cool areas to be in. Some big bars, little bars, um, late night eats, uh, and, and just a bunch of different options day and night. It was a really fun place to be. Um, I, I'm not an expert. And both times I went there, I was pretty like, uh, I had a lot of beers. So I, <laughs> I, I don't remember everything, but I do remember that I had a great time. Yeah. I know that that's great for you to say because, um, so the Georgia Bulldogs athletics Twitter account actually put out a tweet saying hey that you should 
so it, it reads, we know that takeout has become a part of your everyday life. Remember to support your local restaurants and our partners as you plan your meals this weekend. Uh, and they, they had this huge graphic saying, you know, Georgia Bulldogs support local. And they listed a bunch of partners that you can support during these times by getting takeout or delivery. All these local Athens restaurants like Bojangles, Cookout, Dunkin' Donuts, Grindhouse Atlanta, Jersey Mike's, Longhorn Steakhouse, McDonald's, O'Charlie's, Papa John's, Raising Cane's, Smoothie King, Subway, Texas Roadhouse, and Zaxby's. Now, someone who's never been to Athens, I've never heard of any of these places, uh, but I'm, I'm sure that Have, these are... Okay. I could see them saying that they're a small business or local business if they're franchises that are locally owned. Yeah, this is something that uh, this tweet definitely uh, had a lot of people just coming at him. Like, are you kidding me, guys? Like, I'm I'm ashamed to be a Georgia fan. Like, why are you just supporting <laughs> your sponsors right now? There's like so many actual local restaurants around. Yes. Uh, one of them on the list, though, is McDonald's saying, hey, remember, support local. Go to the McDonald's down the road from Sanford Stadium or the McDonald's on the other side of Sanford Stadium. <laughs> Um, okay, but I also recently learned that 95% of McDonald's are own are franchises that are owned locally. Um, only like 5% I, I'm, of I'm sure that a lot of these are. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I see where I you're coming think, from. There, yes. For every McDonald's, there's definitely a local place in Athens to go to that probably could use the publicity a little bit more than the Golden Arches, especially yeah, with the I, tray challenge already doing numbers yes. on the internet, reminding everyone <laughs> to go to McDonald's. Yes, and that is a great transition as we get into our interview with Colton. Uh, he talks about the McDonald's tray challenge, his attempt. We have a lot of fun with that one. So without further ado, here is Colton Corley. Okay, so Ben and I are here with Colton Corley, fresh off his attempt at the McDonald's tray challenge. It is Monday night. Uh, we are a little over 48 hours uh, from Colton's unsuccessful attempt, uh, but he certainly ate a lot of food. It was a valiant effort, and I got to start off by asking, how are you feeling? Have you fully recovered yet? I felt pretty pretty good, actually, probably like three, four hours after it. Um, hour plus, probably two hours immediately after it were rough. Um I'd lie on my side a little bit uh, to keep things down. I was trying my best not to puke. Um, Did you? No, I didn't. But I was considering the option. And I think the the headspace that you're in when you're drinking too much and you're trying to possibly do that same thing to the same effect is uh, is a little bit different and makes it easier. Uh, and doing it when you've just eaten too much is a lot tougher. Um, oh, so you're saying holding down like a lot of alcohol is a lot is easier than holding down a lot of McDonald's. Um, I would not. Nah, sorry, I would say the opposite. Actually, um, oh, okay. I'd say it's it's easier to hold down the food because <laughs> the like you don't want to throw up when you're in that state. Like when when you're drinking, <laughs> you know you're feeling good. Like if you really need to, you can let it go. And you're not going to feel it in that moment really as much as you would. 
But with food, you're going to feel every single bit of that <laughs> if you kind of let it go. That's for sure. Especially if it had, it just recently went down there. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> it still looks like food. Yeah, I was not about to have that happen. So I tried my okay, best. Okay, so, that that, so that was never on the table. You never had any sort of like uh, strategy where you're like, I'm going to eat a lot, throw up, and then finish it. That was never in the plan. I, I probably considered it for like 20 minutes um, in the middle there. <laughs> but I was kind of also like, if I did that, like I feel like it'd be not harming the integrity of it, but I wouldn't feel content with finishing it if I did that. Um, so I tried to finish it just normally as much as I could. And that was my game plan. Um, and I was not able to, but I think if I had a little bit more preparation, I'd be able to, um, I was pretty closer at the end that I probably could have forced a couple more nuggets down and then it would have just been wolfing oh, down the, the burger. Peop- the people wanted it. I, there I many know. people asking for at least one more nug. I know. <laughs> I was... It was rough. I mean, I think uh, a lot of it too was uh, near the end of it, there was a good amount of the repetitive taste getting to me. Um, yeah. That that ended up killing me, especially with it being a little bit cold. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was tough. I, th- like, I thought I'd be able to like hound down those fries because of the salt and like the salt being a, a just easy to put down because of the taste of it. Um, but it, I was not. I was not able to. Yeah. So before we get too far into this, I do want to you know take some time to explain exactly what you did. Um, so if you follow any of the three of us on Instagram and you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a general idea of what went down. We were definitely promoting this a lot. Maybe you even tuned in for summer, all of it. Uh, but what Colton had to do was he had to eat three double quarter pounders with cheese, one single quarter pounder with cheese, two 10-piece chicken McNuggets, two medium fries, and four medium soft drinks. You went with Diet Coke, and you had 90 minutes to do all of that. Now, the 90 minutes part was not necessarily the biggest issue from the way it went down and the way you're describing <laughs> it. It was just the amount of food. And I guess just to give a little background, this all... So while everything kind of went down on Instagram in terms of the promotion, us going live and streaming this to whoever got the notification and uh, logged in, it all started with a viral tweet. So it was this guy, Trevor Donovan. Um, So I I know just by looking at his profile that you don't follow him. Um, He's a verified Twitter account. He has... 149,000 followers on Twitter. His one tweet here was uh, the photo of all that food that was described. Somebody offers you $3,500 to finish everything on this tray in 90 minutes. Could slash would you do it? And Colton, your first words were, this is definitely doable. So what what made you think that in the beginning that this is definitely doable? Because you found out clearly it was not doable. Um, I think the, the thought process that I immediately put in my head was if I was to order that much food, when would it be? And that would be probably if I had gone out for a full night and it was at the end of the night and I was hungry as hell. And that was, that was my first thought. And I was like, okay, if I was at cookout, I could probably down three cookout trays easily, easily. Uh, if I was in that mindset and in that mood and then I kind of shifted and I was like, well, okay, could I do that normally? I probably had yeah, take a little bit more willpower, but I think it, it would definitely be doable. Um, I think in practice it, uh, it turned out a lot differently. Um, 
And I think this is like time, an, your eyes are bigger than your stomach kind of situation. Uh, a little bit. I think most of the time when that applies, my eyes are definitely the same size as my stomach. But uh, for the sake of this, yeah. Um, well, I want to I want to make a point here, though, is that it's not just could you eat all this food in 90 minutes? It's if someone paid you 3500 bucks, and we had a different set of incentives for you. Um, so, Corey, do you want to recap the incentives we had for Colton that were supposed to motivate him to eat all this food? Yeah. So, so initially, I came at him and said, I will buy all the food if you live stream this. I took Colton's tweet and said, this is an opportunity for not just quarantine con- content to like keep me you know, there's something fun to do on the weekend, but also a way to self-promote a podcast like he's done it, uh, something that Ben eventually jumped on with Affable Chat as well. And the way we did that was saying, we'll pay Colton 100 bucks, and we'll also donate initially $200 to Feeding America, eventually grew to $350 for Feeding America. Um, and Feeding America is an organization... It's exactly what they sound. They're trying to feed Americans. They're trying to put the food on the table for millions of Americans who are struggling just normally, but especially during these difficult times with the coronavirus pandemic, shutting down uh, businesses across the country, putting a lot more people out of work than normal. So Colin had all the incentive in the world. He didn't have the $3,500, but like you said, when we, we talked about it, you would have done it for 50. So I thought that hundred bucks, like you said, like you had the motivation and the willpower to do it. Uh, unfortunately you, you did come up short, so I, I didn't have to pay you any money. Uh, but the incentive was absolutely there for you to finish. Yeah, that is true. Um, I think, in in thinking about it that incentive was a lot but i as i was sitting there and i was going through my head and i was like all right how much is a hundred dollars really to me like i i think it hit me then at that point i was like pulling pulling trig and trying to finish the rest of it was not necessarily worth the a hundred dollars well i want to i want to bring up something that as a motivational factor that maybe we hadn't calculated yet, which is the influence of the crowd, because there were many witnesses to this event, and they were definitely uh, at first supporting you, and then once you hit the wall, I think that the tides turned a little bit, and the crowd started saying maybe uh, demotivational things at some point. Yeah, yeah, that was I, I could definitely feel that at a certain point too, um, and at that point I was kind of just like, yeah the odds are not in my favor and the energies, the momentum's not there anymore. So well, Apple chat, you can ask anyone. Apple chat was with you the whole way. We were, we were guessing yes. you up saying you could do it from the beginning of it all the way till the 90th minute. Yeah. I, I think if you look at the distribution of the people who were supporting Colton, they were very much like my followers, but then your followers were the ones who were really going <laughs> yeah, at you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know who those people were, but they, they uh, definitely were the ones that went into it, not expecting you to do it. Um, yep. But I, I, some of my friends had prop bets on it. So <laughs> yeah, did did people? So that was one thing. Like I didn't necessarily see that in the comment section. Do people actually like win or lose money off of yes. this event? <laughs> yes. One of my friends. Okay. One of my friends set like a plus or minus two fifty line. I forget how betting works. I'm not a big better myself but and people took that (laughs) so i did put up a poll on my um instagram story before everything went down it was 50 50 um it was actually like kind of an interesting distribution because there were people who didn't even know who you were that were voting on it and it was like 
50-50 across the board. Uh, after it happened and people realized you lost, you obviously got a lot more no votes at that point. Uh, but I think it was like a very mix in terms of people thinking that you could actually do it versus others that are like, there's no way he can eat all that food. And we had talked about this. Ben and I had talked about this at first. Uh, I think almost every response to that tweet I saw that was saying why they couldn't do it had the same idea and it was the drinks and that was something that you had stated when we talked beforehand Uh, do you feel like all of that soda was ultimately what did you in or if you had you know replaced it with water or you even cut out a couple of them do you think it would have been more doable I think if you take two sodas away from that I could have pushed through it um the two sodas definitely did not help though. The two that I, or the, I ended up finishing three, but the two that I did intermediately between all the food definitely had a negative effect. Um, I thought it would be a positive effect, not positive, but just like a net of refreshing me and not just making me shove food down my throat. But, um, it definitely filled me up more than I thought it would. Um, and I tried to go with, uh, something that was like sugary and, easily craveable um so that the more that i drank of it the more i'd want to drink of it and easily put it down uh, that was the the thought process behind it um and most sodas are of that category i guess so i thought it would be a lot easier than it was to put back the sodas um because i've definitely drank that much soda in the past before easily without a drop of sweat and uh combined with the food it definitely made it tough um I think one side or the other, the food by itself or the the soda by itself is definitely, I would say that is doable. Um, But yeah, definitely did not help to have to do all that soda as well. I don't know if water would have made a difference though, um, because it still would have filled me up as much um, as it did. Um, But at a certain point in trying to do all the food, uh, what popped in my head was maybe I should chug as much soda as I can as early on as I can. So I pee it out later. Um, but that didn't <laughs> really help in the end. Yeah. Well, I would say take it one step further and drink all the soda at the beginning and then throw it all up. And then now you can start <laughs> fresh. And it's like, that wasn't even there. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a thought. I, I, I don't think I would have done it that because as I said earlier, I think, anything that would have involved me throwing things up would have taken away from at least my personal integrity on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I'm also not a fan of the the feeling of throwing up. So I understand your, uh, you know, wanting to avoid that, but I'm sure there are some Romans rolling in their grave right now saying, what is this lad doing? He easily could have eaten all this food. <laughs> Just head to the vomitorium and then head right back. You can eat more. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, again, the throwing up, uh, it could have been done, but I I chose not to. <laughs> I think everyone who was watching probably thanks you, at least because they didn't get have to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know like there are some people who are saying like they would have wanted to see it on camera, but I feel like the vast majority of us would just have been like no. totally disgusted yeah. by you, that. You want, you want, you think you want to see yeah. it until you see it and mm, then you regret it. No. <laughs> um, so in, in total, you ate all three of the double quarter pounders with cheese. Yep. You ate all of the medium fries and you had, I don't know if we got the final number of the nuggets. Was it 13, Uh, 14? I think it was 13. 13. Okay. So you had seven left over. You had the one single quarter pounder with cheese and then you drank three out of the four diet Cokes. Um, So of those, what was the, the, 
the easiest part of all of that? Was there like one one of those that went down easier than the rest of them? Uh, those quarter pounders at the beginning went down so easy, like all three of them. Um, I think once I took a breather and let it set in, the rest of it got a little bit harder. Um, so taking a breather you think was more of a detriment than something that helped you? Looking back, yes. I think a breather was necessary, but the, the length that I took definitely didn't help. Um, but I did in that time go to the chicken nuggets too and finish those off. Um, so I, it wasn't really a breather, I would say. But uh, I think I took a soda break in between there too, and that definitely made made a difference in how I how filled up I felt. Um, but like three burgers like that wasn't that, – that's not tough at all. Um, I mean, if you go to a barbecue at someone's house, like – you have one burger and you're like, okay, I could easily have like four, four more if you're really hungry. Um, and I mean, that's probably the same amount you'd have in three double quarter pounders. So, um, I think that the burgers were definitely easy, but, uh, as I went on and I filled up with more food of different varieties, I realized that trying to stuff a fourth burger in after I'd already, uh, eaten three of them and had the same repetitive taste over and over again probably could have been my downfall and whether or not I would have thrown up. <laughs> and I, I kind of thought about that and I was like, yeah, I think at that point I'd, I won't be doing well. Um, and it didn't get to that point cause I couldn't even get to the burger, but, or the last one. But, uh, that was definitely a thought in my head too, was if I had to eat another one after eating the rest of the food that I had after the burgers, it would have been a problem. Has uh, there been any backlash as a result of your failing to complete this challenge? Has anybody reached out to you to express? Obviously, we all heard the news about Mourinho receiving news that you had failed at the uh, <laughs> at the challenge. He was obviously disappointed. He had a lot riding on this. Uh, but besides that, anybody reach out to you to say, or even to ask how you're doing after such a uh, grueling uh, experience? I had a couple, uh, do you, like, have you recovered? Like, do you feel well? And I was like, yeah, like, it just feels like, day after thanksgiving i feel fine like, I, I had a full meal like that's that's all it feels like um and i had a couple uh responses of oh i could do that i'm gonna try it now and those were the the funny ones to uh to respond to and read because i i would be like in the back of my head i was like ah that's exactly the position that i was in when I saw it. <laughs> and it, it wasn't even just you like there were multiple twitter accounts i followed they were saying things oh i give me 10 minutes i could clear all that food like all, all these different responses and it, it became a viral thing so pat mcafee the uh media sports personality um, I'm not really sure how you even describe him at this point, but he attempted the challenge and he was unsuccessful. And I know that you saw that your immediate reaction was like, I am scared. I don't know that I can do this anymore. Uh, but did did his failure, like, was it all just a, oh no, like this is actually harder than it looks? Or was a, he can't do it. I'm going to prove that I can. Well, he's a punter. So it's like, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I think my first thought was, yeah, he's an NFL player, so that definitely uh, makes it a little bit scarier. But I had faith in my my eating ability to eat a lot of food when I really want to. Um, and I guess I hadn't really thought about that my that ability has probably been lessened over the past couple of years because my freshman year Gibbs Court Bistro runs in uh, at South Carolina um, in Capstone were <laughs> really far in the past at this point, and. Uh, those were the days where I could really, really put things back and, uh, hasn't, hasn't been a while since I've been in that routine. So, um, 
it definitely uh, made me think about it a little bit. But uh, I had faith in my ability. But after the fact now, seeing that an NFL player couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. And then seeing other people be like, oh, yeah, I could do it. Uh, now that's when I laugh because I'm like, yeah, no, I definitely don't think other people that say they could do it could do it. Um, yeah, no, I think there's definitely – you're among good company if Pat McAfee is also not able to do it. And, yeah, I, I was obviously joking. He was a punter, but he was actually a really good punter oh, yeah. first off. And also everyone in the NFL is like a very high-caliber like high caliber athlete. So, um, yeah, you're definitely among good company with other failures. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which brings me to, um, I think we haven't really clarified the fate of the $350 because that was supposed to be incentive for you to, uh, you know, complete the challenge. You know, even if you the hundred dollars is not as valuable for you anymore, you're like, yeah, I'm so full. I don't even care about a hundred dollars, but what about charity? How am I going to look if my failure gets me short of what's needed for Amer- like feeding America to receive $350, um, and, I'm here on behalf of Affable Chat to say, despite your colossal failure in this challenge, <laughs> we are going to be upholding um, our $150 uh, donation to Feeding America because we think that it was such a great event. It was so entertaining. We had such a great time watching you take on this challenge. We're gonna we're gonna donate it anyways, even though it was like a monumental like fall. Uh, uh, you came monumentally short of accomplishing that challenge. <laughs> Yeah. So and now to speak from the perspective of he's done it, um, I had initially stated on Twitter that even if you didn't complete the challenge, I would still donate 100 of the $200. Uh, but as it grew closer, I was like, I, I, I got to donate all of this. Like th- this is for a hugely important cause right now. But the whole time that I was going through that, I was saying that is under the circumstances that even if Colton fails he puts an amazing effort right to the very end it was kind of questionable about whether you did that and like admittedly I had said I don't know what you're going through right now I don't know how much pain you're in when it comes to all the food that you've put down like how much realistically you could keep eating but I did say if you eat one more McNugget before the time runs out I would donate everything and you had that in you to be able to clear one more McNugget, even though you still had plenty more to go. As soon uh, as you said that, I knew I had to. Yeah, so for that, <laughs> I will be putting forth the, the remainder of the $200. That'll be $350 to Feeding America, uh, which every dollar that goes to them puts 10 meals on the table. So Colton didn't win $3,500 like the original tweet, but we will be providing 3,500 meals to Americans across the country who need them more than ever. And I highly encourage others who participate in that event, who are listening and are able to give back to do the same thing, whether it's to Feeding America or any organization out there that is uh, helping put food on the table, you know, helping provide emergency medical care, you know, different like masks, whatever the, the uh, healthcare workers need right now. Uh, there's definitely a lot of good that we can do in this time. And as fun of an event, it was Colton. Like it's, I'm glad that we are able to have a, a lasting impact beyond just the, uh, the Instagram live stream. 
Yeah, no, like you said, like uh, these are strange times. This is um, we made something good out of a bad situation. We're all trapped in different locations right now, and Colton, because of your uh, your how cavalier you were about this challenge, uh, you gave us a memorable Saturday night, and I think that that's worthy of us taking some action on our own and donating some money to these charities. So um, even though you definitely like failed, uh, you de- <laughs> <laughs> it is still uh, I, I you put in a great effort, and I think we can all celebrate that. Yeah, absolutely. And in 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 terms of the effort, it was definitely like 35 minutes of you going strong and then 65 minutes of you trying to quit on me and me saying, "No, Cole, and you can't quit. You can't quit." Um, I I was trying my best. I that was trust me, it it got tough real quick. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I mean, it it was entertaining. I do kind of like there were a lot of people who joined the stream sporadically. Um, so I think the final numbers, so Instagram Live cuts you off after 60 minutes. So we had two different streams. The first one had 66 unique viewers. The second had 69 unique viewers. Uh, nice. I don't know the total of them, but there were definitely a lot of people who showed up after you hit that wall and we're like barely putting any food down anymore <laughs> and then like it's like I, I feel bad for these people like they didn't get to witness like the early happy days of the beginning um but you know i i know that there were also some people in the comment section are saying you kidding it's like seeing colton struggle is comical so <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that there was uh, a little bit of enjoyment uh throughout whether you are at your highest of highs or lowest of lows um I guess real quickly. So Colton, you are a big 49ers fan, just like Ben. Yep. Um, you've, you've been on this podcast before, technically, uh, back when it was the Ben and Corey podcast days, uh, you talked about football then. Um, I don't remember exactly how much you talked about the Niners is during the 2018 season before, uh, of course this awesome 2019 season. So uh, how are you feeling about the Niners heading in, you know, based on what's happened so far in free agency, heading into the draft and uh, looking forward to this upcoming season? As a long-suffering 49ers fan, um, and I say that because I was not alive to see the great heyday of our franchise. Um, and my my peak as a fan before this past season was seeing the 49ers lose in the Super Bowl. Um and the Harbaugh days, and I loved that team and that uh, that time. Um, so the past couple of seasons have been pretty pretty rough. Um, I mean, we went, we even hired Chip Kelly. Like that was, oof. Um, and he did worse than Jim Tom Sula, who yeah. we also hired. <laughs> <laughs> Both of which were terrible hires, but I hope they're doing well. Um, but yeah, Ed, seeing this past season, the quick turnaround that we had, I had faith in the full rebuild and the the culture reset. I, when it initially started, I had faith that that, that was hundred percent the right way to go and they were doing it the right way. Um, so to see that kind of like pay off in some way, even if it wasn't a Super Bowl, was very rewarding as a fan and to know that a, a good strong base is set up for the future. Um, is it, that's, it's very rewarding to see, uh, after many years of turmoil and, uh, some iffy moments on whether or not we were ever going to get back to that point and that stage, um, being able to have that hard reset and go through with it and stick through with it. When you see so many different teams try and pull off that same reset and be done with it in, within a year. Um, it was definitely amazing to see. Um, and all the player personalities, like the whole team across the board, 
amazing guys and like you could tell they all love each other they'd all fight for each other even when like uh DeForest Buckner just got traded um and all of them were just like like we love you like we'd want you to be here like and the first thought that I had was like at least the 49ers were able to get him his big contract extension and that he deserved before they traded him um I think that at least that's what I saw on it I don't know if it was signed before or after they traded him but uh he got a very very good payday um out of it so i'm right. glad that you he feel was bad because you trade him but then you're like also you can't really feel bad for him he has such a huge contract <laughs> yeah well it's like it's not i would i wouldn't even look at it from that mindset like the way i looked at it i was like as as a 49er fan like i'd want to keep him there as much as possible on the team but like it's not possible with uh the salary cap and how many other players we have on the team so well they wanted armstead yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of factors uh when you're doing like that actually another 49ers defensive lineman that's been in the news recently alden smith is being signed by the cowboys uh or has been signed by the cowboys what's your take on that are the niners complete boneheads for letting this guy get like <laughs> letting him go and now he's gonna go dominate on the cowboys oh god no no the 49ers <laughs> made the very correct decision um, when everything went down with him um uh and it's good to see him turn his life around um but no definitely the 49ers made the right call when they did um he was a great player back then but he he had his problems outside off the field and <sighs> yeah you can't you can't rectify those with just for playing football as being the the opposite like of uh needing to keep him there and um i mean uh, kudos to him for being able to get back into the nfl and i I'm excited. Do you think he'll be see. productive? Do you think that he'll be an asset for the Cowboys? I think with the Cowboys, he's thirty. The Cowboys D line, with it is like how it is right now, I think he will definitely be able to come in and contribute because it's not like they're asking him to be the star man. Um, yeah. So I, I think from that perspective, he's definitely going to do some good things for them. Yeah, I um, just jumping back to the being a 49ers fan over the long haul. Um, I've, I mean, you and I have been around, uh, like alive, have been the same general portion of time, slightly older than you, but we've been, we've experienced basically the same football. Um, and I've, I personally feel kind of good after this season. I've come full circle. Uh, I originally became a 49ers fan at the beginning of the Jim Harbaugh era. That's when I started really paying attention to football. My family's always been fans, but that's when I really started focusing on it. And I was called bandwagon. Uh, and I've since gone from being bandwagon to being a fan of by far one of the worst teams in the league and back to being a key of being bandwagon it's it's fantastic i've gone full circle <laughs> yeah. um i like this side of it i like being called bandwagon a little better um but it's uh you know it, it's nice to be on a team that does have at least some ups with the downs because you can look at plenty of other teams that they only have uh you know bad years most years and uh at least with the niners there's sometimes a chance two times of the super bowl uh, in our lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Crossing the fingers for another one. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, the 49ers are definitely a a mention, at least early in the, the comment section of the Instagram live stream. A lot of people saying stuff. Which, like, I don't think there are any Chiefs fans in there. There's not really anyone, anything anybody can say about the Niners. But uh, I did you know, take the opportunity to join the masses with a little playful, like, oh, Colton, the clock's on your side. But then again, it was on the Niners side in the Super Bowl. Also, uh, a a pretty bad failure by uh, you, just like the Niners. But you're <laughs> you're a huge, you're a big George Kittle fan, according to your your Twitter account. Is he your favorite player? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I he, he's definitely up there. Um, I his persona as a player is I'm a big fan of, um, and the way he plays football is something to watch. So it's definitely 
he's 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 the guy on that team when it comes to uh star potential um and uh being that uh, the figurehead i guess um and he he gets attention easily and he has that type of uh personality that draws you in and uh makes you want to watch what he does so yeah i i would definitely say he's one of my favorite players easily yeah as now you know where i'm about to go from here oh yeah 100% it, it took you 5 days to go from I can eat all this McDonald's to actually trying it. It's been how long now? Like six, seven months since you tweeted at George Kittle saying you'd get a tattoo and you still haven't. What What are you waiting for? Like, obviously you can't I, okay. right now, but you had all this time. Let me, like, so let me, let me explain all that. So I tweeted that back at him initially in September. And at that point, the 49ers were doing okay. Um, but, you know, no one, jury wasn't out on like how the season would go. Um, and as the 49ers kept winning, uh, the thought got in the back of my head of what if I made this a Super Bowl related tattoo? Um, and as the 49ers played better and better every week and they were considered favorites to get there, the more and more it stuck in my head that I should hold off on the opportunity and try as much as possible and hope and pray that the 49ers win the Super Bowl so that I can get a Super Bowl tattoo in some way. That was my thought process. Um, and I, I did realize back then as well that there could be a problem that arises if it got all the way to the Super Bowl and they lost because that means I would have waited the maximum amount of time to not get it and then have it not happen for that specific scenario. So I realize it does look bad, but my intention the whole time has been been to get a tattoo. Um, and I had, I've had some planned up for, for a little bit now. Um, but trying to figure out which specific one to get, especially with, uh, the price wise or the, the price, uh, outlook on them, um, is definitely tough. Um, and that I will say that leading up until the Super Bowl, that what I just said earlier was my mindset was hoping that it would be a 49ers, Super Bowl related tattoo. Um, but since that did not happen, um, I've been waiting and biding my time of when and if I can get a tattoo due to it being expensive. So, and also with the current coronavirus problem, um, that definitely throws a wrench in things. But do just for the record to let it be known. I do have multiple tattoos planned and I'm ready to do them as soon as I am physically able to due to what's going on right now and monetarily able to. And I have, that has been the plan the whole time that this has been the case. So. Yep. All right. So Colton, thank you for uh, taking some more time to talk to us. You know, we, we've certainly had a lot of conversations the, the past few days. It's, uh, it's been great working with you on this. Um, uh, I'm very glad that you, you responded with open arms to my request and I'm sure lots of people, you know, our friends were, were very thankful that you gave them something to do on a Saturday night when we're all stuck at home with nothing better. So, uh, real quickly, do you want to plug your uh, social media just so others can follow you there? Yeah, sure. I'm ccorley97 on pretty much everything I can think of. On Facebook, I'm just me, my name, so uh, Colton Corley. But yeah, on uh, on everything else, I think I'm ccorley97. But You're yep. both on Twitter and Instagram, made yep. tagging you in our promotional stuff really easy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, unlike me. 
Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Colton. No problem. All right, so that was our interview with Colton Corley on the McDonald's Tray Challenge. Uh, Super fun. I I hope that if uh, you didn't watch it live, you kind of have a a good idea of the experience now just from listening back to that. Uh, We will be donating the $350 on Sunday because of Easter. I think that it's a a very great day uh, to be able to you know, go through with that donation. Um, I know a lot of people are affected and most of us um, aren't able to spend Easter with our families if we don't live close enough together. Uh, so I, I, I hope that uh, if you are in a position to be able to, you do uh, consider giving to whether local or national organizations, anyone who's helping make people's lives just a little bit easier during these very difficult times. So with that, let's move on to our next segment. And Ben, you know, as the uh, the movie review expert, why don't you take the lead on this one as we review Tiger King? Okay, well, I want to be clear. On Affable Chat, I always say I'm not an expert. I'm not a critic even. I just like movies and I like talking about them. Okay, and that's what we're going to do here with Tiger King. So I want to start off by asking you, Corey, who, who convinced you to watch Tiger King? Or did you come across it on your own on Netflix? So... I was I did not come across on my own on Netflix. Um, I was convinced by the internet in general, and I don't know that it was necessarily. Uh, this is like everyone is hyping it up, and I I had waited so long to watch it, and I was just like, okay, yeah, this everyone's talking about it. So at first, I was like, yeah, I don't really care, but then eventually, I was like, wait, everyone's watching this. I feel like I need to watch this and talk about it on my podcast because we literally just had a podcast about social distancing activities, what shows we've been watching. We didn't even mention Tiger King. I'm like, that that's not a good look for us. So I just came up with the idea. I didn't really even have too many recommendations. But when I, I like texted in our group chat, it's like, guys, we should all commit to actually watching Tiger King because we all said none of us did. And then you're immediately like, oh, I binged it all this weekend. It's really good. Yeah, you should watch it. So yep. I was like, all right, there you go. Well, so I, I was... guess in a way you were my recommendation, but... Right. And I, I had the same kind of reaction where it was like, oh my, the internet is on one again, this Tiger King. And it's like, these people are such sheep. They see tigers and they just like, oh, I have to watch it because tigers are so cute. And, um, you know, being all skeptical and stuff. But my co-host on Affable Chat, uh, Joey, told me, no, you have to watch it. It's very important that you watch it. And Joey is, he's a cinephile. He's an actual movie expert. He's a guy you should go to for real, um, you know, movie criticism. And he rarely leads me astray. So I decided to check it out. And I feel like if you watch it for any length of time, you get hooked almost immediately. Mm-hmm. It is such yeah. a multifaceted documentary experience where you could you could have any, like the, the premises just stack up. You've got a guy like Joe Exotic, whose personality is already so... Uh, explosive <laughs> to put it one way <laughs> but he's also gay okay he's a polygamist um he owns tigers i mean i feel like i skipped that one but uh and then there's all these other characters who come in and just each one of them could have their own documentary but it, instead it's all tied together in this uh short documentary series it's just amazing and the most important thing about it is that it came out or it reached popularity in the middle of a quarantine which means everyone saw it 
And if you don't see it, you're going to be left out, not just right now, but I predict far into the future where people will reference this and be like, hey, hey, remember Carol Baskin? Hey, I, hey Carol Baskin did it. And then people are going to be seeing it. Who? You know, care, who? And they won't, they won't understand what's going on or they'll, they'll laugh. Ha, ha, ha. I get it. And they don't get it. So it's important to watch this so that you can participate in popular culture. And since we brought up Carol Baskin, I want to ask you, Corey, did she do it? Did Carol Baskin do it? I, I don't know that you can watch this documentary and not come away with the belief that she did it. It's just the way that's presented. It I, I absolutely just based on her character and how she's on the show, like it feels like, yeah, she absolutely did. And the way she's talking about herself not doing it, it's like, okay, I don't believe you. And it, like one little comment, I, I didn't really think about it in the, like when I was watching the show, um, I watched about one episode per day at first. So it was broken up enough. I wasn't just sit down and watch it six hours straight. Um, but I, I actually just recently was reminded about how uh, one of the tigers attacked Joe. Yep. It was like, nibbling on its feet or whatever Mm -hmm. and she made a comment about yeah i mean if you want to kill a person with a tiger you use sardine oil and it's like yeah yeah you should know of all people because you killed your husband by feeding him the tiger so i i think he that she did it absolutely yeah what a specific thing to say it's like (laughs) you think that i fed my husband to a tiger to do that i would have to cover him completely in a gallon in in one and a half gallons of sardine oil (laughs) come on that would be a ridiculous thing to suggest i mean at the same time there's the will where they were talking that lawyer who was saying that it's very odd to write upon my disappearance specifically disappearance not death in your will and also they had the will amended right before he disappeared she had it amended yeah the timing it was impeccable so i um i said this on affable chat because we also talked about tiger king but i felt like carol baskin had strong hillary clinton energy okay Uh, because she is first off just like hillary clinton she is a woman in a man's world all of the other tiger people that we see all the other tiger kings uh, or or dukes or nobles of the tiger community like Doc Antle, that one guy who got put in jail for like his tigers ate like a dead body or whatever. All these other tiger aficionados are all men, except Carol Baskin. Also, unlike all those other guys, Carol Baskin's mission is supposedly good. She, I know a lot of people criticize her. They're like, she's doing the exact same thing as them, putting tigers in cages. But her whole business model is shutting down places where they're taking advantage of tigers, giving them a kind of nice place to live until they die, and not letting them reproduce, ending the problem as she sees it, and tigers in captivity. So it's like, and, and at the same time, like Hillary Clinton, you know, is progressive. She, a lot of things she says are, you know, supposedly positive. Well, that's as far as I want to go into that. But she's has both of them, Carol Baskin and Hillary Clinton, have conspiracy theories surrounding them that make them seem like total monsters. Yeah. <laughs> they literally yeah. are both accused yeah. of being murderers. So I was, I saw, and I just, I was like, she's Hillary Clinton. Strong Hillary Clinton energy. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't immediately come away with that, but I, I do think that's a, a great description when you say that. Uh, but I think one thing is, 
I think part of the reason why Carol Baskin, beyond just like the murders, gets kind of a, a bad reputation is while she, even if she might be doing things that are good for tigers, she has all these like hundreds of volunteers working 12 hour days for nothing. She's not paying these people. So maybe she's not taking advantage of tigers like Joe Exotic <laughs> and Doc Antle. Maybe she's taking advantage of people. So this this documentary has way more bad or questionable people than like, okay, this is an actually good person in it. Which is it I think that makes it such a remarkable show is that you're you're like rooting against so many people throughout the series and you're not really rooting for too many people. Or every time you start rooting for someone something really bad happens and you're like, ah, well, okay. Yeah. They are a bad guy after all. Um, I definitely had that with Joe exotic, uh, throughout. Right. Because, well, I mean his fate, um, he ends up in jail. So I want to ask you that now, do you feel like Joe exotic really did try to kill Carol Baskin and he deserves to spend a substantial remainder of his life in jail? He is so crazy that I, I, I do think so. I think that others deserve to be in jail with him. Um, <laughs> like who? Primar- so I guess primarily Jeff Lowe and um, the the guy that he, he contracted. Alan? I, I just think, yeah, Alan. Uh, just based on those conversations, just hearing those, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I definitely believe this. Um, even the jet ski guy, uh Garretson, I think was his name. He's he's a kind of a questionable character. I feel like there's there's a lot of these people that, could easily suffer a similar kind of fate as Joe Exotic. Not to mention Carol Baskin, who maybe after this is all of a sudden going to be actually found guilty of murdering her ex-husband. Right, and and it's so interesting. The thing that ties all these characters together is just the presence of tigers. None of the characters Mm -hmm. are necessarily tigers. It's not like we fell in love with one particular tiger or another in this show. It's just the existence of tigers has this almost supernatural uh, impact on the people in this documentary. People love tigers so much, apparently. They will do, they'll work 12-hour shifts for free just to be near them. They will um, go back to work a few days after getting their arm ripped off just to keep taking care of tigers. They'll pay top dollar if they can hold a baby tiger in their hand, even if they know in the back of their head this tiger is going to get euthanized pretty soon. So Mm -hmm. did you do you have that same kind of effect from tigers? Do you feel like even though it's all this cruelty and stuff, it still would be pretty awesome to hold a baby tiger? Not at all. I've I've never thought that way. And like this isn't even totally foreign to me because there are a lot of college mascots that are tigers. One prominent one is LSU. I think it's Mike the Tiger, if I'm not mistaken, is their mascot. And he was a tiger who was basically one of those petting cubs who eventually, when he grew too old, was going to be euthanized. And LSU saved him. He's in like a $5 million, I don't even want to say cage, but it's just enclosure. like awesome. Yeah, enclosure. Um, so they, they saved a tiger who was in this situation and just like thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know that I would want to even put myself in that position with a tiger. This isn't just like a slightly bigger cat. It's still an animal that could certainly attack you. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to have a pet tiger and assume, oh, I'm going to be like a fatherly figure to it when it's young. So that way when it's huge, it's going to treat me just like a friend and not like food. So yeah. I, I've never had that, and I don't feel like I want to do that anymore 
uh, after watching us. That's I could not relate. Every time they showed anybody like cuddling with a tiger or like yeah. wrestling with it, I was just gritting my teeth waiting for something bad to happen because oh, I know. you're just playing with fire. It's not worth it. No, and it's like they were showing like all the the photos with like the women in Las Vegas. So like yeah, they would smuggle. It was a uh, you know, Jeff Lowe, he would smuggle baby tigers into hotels in vegas and get all these girls to come up and they're all like taking pictures and like cuddling with them it's like you are handling a tiger you when have you had any experience with this you're just a stranger hotel room and you're like oh i'm gonna play with this baby tiger i it's just unreal to me Um, yeah no i it seems like really poor judgment but i just feel like i'm missing that like attraction because other people, as we see throughout this entire documentary, are totally enchanted by tigers. And I've heard other people whose response to this, they watch all of Tiger King, and their first thing is like, I totally want to hold a baby tiger now. And it's like, yeah. do you kind of miss the point? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, like, um, I, I just don't feel like anybody in this situation is doing a good thing. But there is the one... Uh, like even Carol Baskin, like I feel like there are better ways to deal with it. I think that um, the true, if you really cared about tigers, you would give them as close to their real envi- uh, um, habitat as possible. Because one of the arguments for doing what all the characters in this show do, in this documentary do, is they say these tigers wouldn't exist if we didn't breed them. We get like, there's more tigers in the United States because their habitats aren't existing anymore. So you could say, mm-hmm. oh, let them be in nature. But it's like their environment is doesn't exist anymore or it's rapidly shrinking. And if we want to have these around, then we got to have them in cages. And yeah. Or yeah, yeah. somebody who's super rich and isn't really obsessed with becoming a Tiger King, isn't obsessed with running a show essentially where they show off their tigers and make money from them. If somebody like that came along, then they could really save the tigers. Otherwise, I feel like tigers are doomed to this either living in the small area of the wild that's still left for them or living in a cage. Yeah, and I know that's one of the bigger arguments when it comes to things like zoos and holding animals in captivity is them being able to live longer lives. But I don't know that they're necessarily better lives when they're not in their natural habitat. That being said, I don't think that we should be releasing all these animals into the wild that have been living in captivity in these enclosures that don't know what it's like out there, aren't necessarily able to fend for themselves. So, like, that's another thing, bringing up the Mike the Tiger LSU thing. I There was a lot of calls for that to happen, or like, release a tiger back in the wild. It's like, this is a, is a petting tiger. He knows nothing. He didn't come from the wild it would be dead within a week if you did that. And how is that any better than its $5 million luxury suite that it's living in now? Well, speaking of being uh-huh. dead within a week, the other thing that was really menacing about running a tiger zoo is how much meat you have to keep supplying to all these tigers. Mm-hmm. Joe was talking about how he basically spends about a million dollars a year just to keep the tigers fed. And they were like, on Christmas Day... You're not taking the day off. You're coming to the zoo and feeding the yeah. tigers. Come on, because they got to eat every day. Uh-huh. It's it, it is so uh, such a commitment, and it definitely seems like Joe got in over his head um, by the end of it. The other thing that they were able to push as a narrative was how Joe lost his love for the tigers. Especially at the end, mm-hmm. they showed a video of him from when he first started, and he was talking about how they want to end tiger captivity. He basically he basically stated 
the um, Big Cat Rescue mission statement, which is basically to get the laws changed to stop tiger captivity in the United States. And then Joe became the villain he was originally trying to stop. It's just like that. It's just like the old saying goes, you either die a hero, you either get eaten by a tiger as a hero, or you live long enough <laughs> to see yourself keep tigers in captivity. So yeah. it's, uh, and that, that I think brings us to just the documentary as a whole. I really love the angle of making a documentary about a reality TV show. That's pretty yes. amazing. Uh, yep. It's very meta to have guys with cameras following guys with cameras. Um, but also the character arc of Joe Exotic, because it is the Tiger King. It is about Joe, at least season one is. And his uh, his arc from being you know, originally this guy who wants to save tigers to being this tiger kingpin to his fall from grace and eventual incarceration, I think was just amazing and very well done from a documentary perspective. Yeah, I think so as well. Because um, like you knew for most of the, the uh, series that Joe Exotic is in jail. It, it, they would show cuts to the Oklahoma prison he was in. Uh, and I think that they they definitely did a good job of kind of portraying the whole uh, timeline of what he was going through and ultimately to the end where it's like, oh, OK, yeah. So this is like kind of a, a bad situation that he put himself in. Uh, this isn't just a case of like someone trying to like frame him. Well, so. I was wondering if I mean, I like the way that they did that, too. They kept you in suspense. You're like, why is he in jail? And then also. Just because they show you that as a kind of a flash forward doesn't mean that that's the end. I mean, it ended up being the yeah. end, but uh, I always thought there was a chance that we'd see the court trial potentially because, uh, you know, you could have been tempted to Google Tiger King in between episodes, but I don't see why you would ruin it for yourself like that. I had no idea yeah. what Joe uh, Exotic's current, current whereabouts were, so I was like, maybe, who knows? You know, maybe Joe Exotic has his day uh, in court and actually gets out, but uh, obviously he ends up staying in there. And I actually have heard news that he wants like a new judge or something. And, um, you know, the Netflix documentary is bringing new things to light or something. But, uh, I mean, for the sake of the documentary, we know that he's locked up. Yep. Um, So I I do have a question for you on a personal perspective. So we kind of talked about this. A lot of this is taking place in Oklahoma. That's where Joe Exotic is from. And a lot of this, like in terms of him running for governor yes what has happening when you were living there that's right did you have any idea that this stuff was going on when you were there so i knew of joe exotic because of john oliver and they showed that clip from last week tonight on the show and i saw that when it came out so i heard about it and i was like i can't believe this guy is here in oklahoma but when it actually came to voting for the gubernatorial race my mind was not on joe maldonado at all i I don't even remember you had no idea i i got a like oklahoma citizens guide to the what is it 2018 election and i don't even remember reading his platform in there i do remember comparing the republican nominee to the democratic nominee nominee and you know weighing their positions before casting my vote i have no recollection of even considering a joe maldonado let alone a joe exotic so this documentary was very uh interesting for me because all yeah. this stuff was happening while i was there and i had no idea um i never went to the zoo which i wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to support that business anyways, but, um, I didn't go and, uh, 
I definitely didn't know about the things that were happening at the courthouse, even though I lived right down the street from that courthouse at one point while I was living in Oklahoma City. There were many shots of downtown Oklahoma City that I I was like, whoa, I used to live right right beside that. Is that me in the crowd? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really interesting, though, because like I I've definitely watched John Oliver fairly frequently and I remember watching a lot of his content um, right before the 2016 election but I don't remember Joe Exotic from that so that's interesting that you said that you do remember uh, so I, I just assume I didn't catch that episode um, because I feel like that kind of would have stuck out with me but there's just uh, I don't know there's that a lot election of itself was outlandish on, enough that like yeah, yeah. Um, so but yeah that's that, that is like interesting knowing that you were kind of well, and especially because John Oliver, are. much like a lot of late night hosts, is n- he's not immune to cherry picking very like silly quotes from people to make them look stupider than they are, right? Except yeah. Joe Exotic still is everything that John Oliver showed and more. So, uh-huh. oh yeah, it's, it's kind of insane that it's like John Oliver, if anything, made him look tame uh, compared to what he actually is. So, um, you know, just because you can't really get the whole picture on Joe unless you spend a long, a long time <laughs> learning about all the, uh, everything that happened with him. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have one one last question for you. Well, kind of a couple of questions, depending on how this goes. But have you seen Westworld? I've seen season HBO one show? and two. I'm not. OK, I haven't even seen three. that many. Um, is it just me or does Rick Kirkham look? Like, does he remind you a lot of the man in black from Westworld? <laughs> and I don't know if it's just the attire. I mean, the attire like, definitely has an. Yeah. I, I see where you're coming from, um, especially also because he's like old and full of regret, yeah. which is uh-huh. definitely like the man in black. So, yeah, um, they're very, very similar. Like at the same time, I was like, he he doesn't necessarily he looks like maybe even older version of the man in black but then i was also like i feel like there's even someone else who looks even more like him just regardless of what he's wearing but i i couldn't really like figure it out but uh i i okay i'm (laughs) i'm glad i'm not totally crazy though with that one comparison well especially that guy uh i recently was working on a video and my sd card got corrupted when i was trying to move the files from my camera to the computer and there's no worse feeling than having all of that just destroyed, all your footage destroyed. You work so hard to create. And the yeah. footage I lost was like 30 minutes of footage, not an entire uh, reality show's worth. That was supposed to make him a millionaire, and it's totally gone. I don't know if you can ever recover from that fully. That that no, would leave a pit in your all. soul, and I really mm-hmm. feel bad for that guy. I mean, hopefully the, the Tiger King... Uh, publicity will be good for him, but there's no getting that back. And that is one of the toughest feelings to deal with in this life. Yeah. There's a reason why my childhood uh, survivor series that I did only had two episodes. And that's because I, I lost the rest of the footage. And that, that was, that was frustrating. So <laughs> devastating. I wasn't making millions of dollars off that. So, yep. Um, oh, speaking of which though, do you think Joe yep. d- burnt that place down? With the, the alligator that, pit and all yeah, the footage. Yeah, so that that was an interesting one to me. Um, I I didn't think so at first, but the more that it kind of went on, especially when they like showed him, he was like talking about it, and then it's like, oh no, this is all just for film. It's like, yeah, maybe he actually did do this. I think he did. Um, I don't. Yeah. I think at that point, Joe had stopped caring about the lives of these animals fully. Yeah, and uh, 
he didn't care if he barbecued some alligators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's a, a very, very fair take on it. So Affable Chat also did a, a review of barely, Tiger King. Barely, barely. To I some mean, extent, you talked about it. We do episodes that yeah. are entirely on a certain work where we'll talk about it the entire episode. This was just an off-script episode, and we talked. It came up just like it, it, I'm sure pr- plenty of people are talking about it right now. How can you not talk yeah. about Tiger King? Yeah, and then you made the cover art Tiger King as well. So to an extent, I, I think it's it's kind of a Tiger King episode, right? Um, if you listen to it, it's like 70% not Tiger King. Um, okay. but we do know how to promote our episodes and get people to click on it. And yeah. everybody has seen <laughs> Tiger King. So that's what yeah. we we're going for. Yeah. So that, that, that will be in the title of this one for sure. Um, so we also talked about Colton's McDonald's trade challenge earlier in the interview. And that has inspired our top five for today. So, uh, we will be counting down our favorite chain restaurant burgers in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so we're we're counting down our favorite chain restaurant burgers. So specific burgers that you can find at chain restaurants, whether they're fast food, sit down, as long as they are national to an extent, uh, and. Part of the reason was because of Colton's McDonald's tray challenge. But also, I gave up red meat for Lent, and it's finally over on Easter Sunday, and I just really have missed cheeseburgers so much. So this is definitely kind of getting me excited for being able to eat them again. Uh, So I'll start off. uh, We'll go through my full list and then Ben's full list, more like the three-person format than the two-person format. Uh, But my number five is, well, speaking of the McDonald's tray challenge, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Uh, I've never been a huge McDonald's fan, but recently, I think partially from like living down the road from one, I've definitely been going more often. And when it's, I'm actually in a position where I can eat a burger, the Quarter Pounder with cheese is always my go-to. I'm not a huge Big Mac fan. So the the Quarter Pounder, if I want a burger, uh, it's still decently sized i don't think i've ever actually had a double quarter pounder but uh, i i probably want to move on to those now won't have three of them like colton did uh, but quarter pounder with cheese is it's always been uh, or more recently been my go-to at mcdonald's and it's definitely made mcdonald's a lot more appealing for me ever since i discovered that a few years ago so number five my number four so this is one that's not necessarily a fully national. It's more of a Southeast regional, but it's across enough states that I still put it on here. That is the big double burger from Cookout, specifically cheddar style. So I, I was first introduced to Cookout my freshman year at the University of South Carolina. Um, our dorm room was right down the road, walking distance from a Cookout. And I think my like second weekend of college, uh, a bunch of people from my floor went and I got a big double burger tray that was when i was first introduced their five dollar trays with just lettuce and ketchup and cheese and that was all i knew for the longest time all throughout college but then after i graduated moved to raleigh i was introduced to the big double burger cheddar style so this is just a lot of cheese like melted cheese with caramelized onions and bacon and i it's definitely changed my life when it comes to cookout 
Uh, I actually lived across the street from one my senior year of college, and I'm kind of thankful that I didn't know about it then because I would have gone significantly more than I already did, which was a ton just from living so close to it. Uh, So the Big Double Burger, Cheddar Style, number four. At number three, so this is my only one from a sit-down restaurant. That is the Whiskey River Barbecue Burger from Red Robin. And I love onion straws on a burger. I remember a couple years ago, we did a top five like hamburger and hot dog toppings. Uh, and I, I definitely had crispy onion straws on there. I probably had barbecue sauce. And my one and two were probably just cheese and bacon all on this burger. Uh, I haven't been to Red Robin in a while, but I always love getting this whenever I did go there. And it's uh, one of the very few just like burger chains that isn't your typical fast food restaurant. And I, I've always been very satisfied with this. Uh, there's certainly plenty of like barbecue burgers that I could put on from local restaurants. But if we're keeping it to national, Red Robin will do. Now at number two, the cheeseburger from Five Guys. And it is my I get it just about as simple as you can do. Uh, growing up, when I'd go to Five Guys, I would always get so the cheeseburger with two patties and then just ketchup. Uh, as I grew older, I started at least putting lettuce on it. And I, I just love Five Guys burgers. And I, I think there are always two words that describe Five Guys whenever anyone talks about them. And the first one is it's expensive. But the second is it's really good. And when we're just talking about really good burgers, absolutely belongs number two. Uh, it's not a place that I go to all the time because it is a much more costly than your McDonald's or other fast food restaurants, but absolutely worth it on those occasions that I do. Five Guys comes in at number two, but my number one, the immediate first thing I think of when I think of fast food burgers, it is the Baconator from Wendy's. and. I love Baconator so much. I can go to Wendy's and get a full meal for only four bucks, and yet I still regularly get Baconators. Uh, it is, it's always been one of my favorite fast food meals in general, beyond just burgers. And uh, living uh, down the road from a Wendy's most of the time uh, has made it so I I find any excuse I can to go get one. Last year, uh, I actually had a Baconator on Easter Sunday. It was my first uh, red meat meal. Uh, I don't know that it'll necessarily be my first one again this year. I won't rule it out, but I'll certainly be going very shortly after Sunday, if not on Sunday. So it's my top five. Number one, Baconator. All right. Well, yours is a little bit more eclectic than mine will be because I think you're you're you know a lot more about the burgers at various chains. Uh, maybe you have a little bit more experience going out to these types of restaurants. I do. I love a burger as much as the next American guy. Uh, but my list, uh, well, it's my own list. So I'll just go ahead and get right into it. So with number five, I've got the cheeseburger from Burger King. You can't go wrong with Burger King's cheeseburger, a signature flame-grilled beef patty topped with a single layer of melted American cheese, crinkle-cut pickles, yellow mustard, and ketchup on a toasted sesame seed bun. Need I say more? It's your classic cheeseburger, and it's, uh, it's my number five on my top five national chain burgers. Moving on to number four, we've got the bacon cheeseburger from Burger King. 
You can't go wrong with Burger King's Bacon Cheeseburger, a signature flame-grilled beef patty topped with smoked bacon and a layer of melted American cheese, crinkle-cut pickles, yellow mustard, and ketchup on a toasted sesame seed bun. Need I say more? It's your classic bacon cheeseburger, the way only Burger King can deliver on it. Um, Definitely worthy of the number four on my top five national chain burgers. Moving on to my number three, we're at the halfway point, and of course, you knew it was coming, the double cheeseburger from Burger King. Make room for our for Burger King's double cheeseburger, two signature flame-grilled beef patties topped with a simple layer of melted American cheese, crinkle-cut pickles, yellow mustard, and ketchup on a toasted sesame seed bun. Need I say more? Nobody does double cheeseburgers quite like Burger King, and it's why it lands smack dab in the middle of my top five at number three, uh, the double bacon che- the double cheeseburger from Burger King. And at number two, I almost spoiled it, the double bacon cheeseburger from Burger King. Make room for Burger King's bacon double cheeseburger. Two signature flame-grilled beef patties topped with smoked bacon and a simple layer of melted American cheese. Crinkle-cut pickles, yellow mustard, and ketchup on a toasted sesame seed bun. Need I say more? Nobody does double bacon cheeseburgers like Burger King, and that's why it comes in second place on my top five national chain burgers, and at the top, the one burger that's better than all the other burgers on this list, the McDouble from McDonald's. A classic double burger from McDonald's, the McDouble trademark stacks two 100% pure beef patties seasoned with just a pinch of salt and pepper. It's topped with tangy pickles, chopped onions, ketchup, mustard, and a slice of melty American cheese. It contains no artificial flavors, preservatives, or added colors from artificial sources. But I want to note, the pickles may contain artificial preservatives. So skip that if you like, okay? But that, I I feel like I've said it all here with the McDouble. Uh, It it, it reigns supreme. It's actually ironic that the the McDonald's burger on my list wears the crown, despite the rest of the burgers on this list being from Burger King. McDouble is the number one burger on my national chain burgers top five. I love the uh, the surprise twist at the end with your number one. Uh, very rep- reminiscent of your top five uh, candies all being Snickers. I I loved Burger King as a kid. Uh, they they had one in um, the the local mall food court, and every time I would go there, like all throughout elementary school into middle school, I would always get a double cheeseburger from Burger King. Uh, eventually I stopped doing that. I started eating other places. And then I remember it was freshman year of college. I was home from spring break and Brian and I actually went to Burger King. I was like, Oh, I haven't been Burger King in forever. Like I used to love it as a kid. And I got a double cheeseburger and I was like, this is disgusting. (laughs) Why did I eat this all the time? And I can't eat Burger King anymore. Like I remember, um, wait, you ate a double cheeseburger and you didn't like it? No, I didn't like it. I didn't. I know it's your Not even third favorite. After you realize it's two signature flame grilled beef patties topped with a simple layer <laughs> no. of melted American cheese. Did it have crinkle no. cut pickles on it? I, I don't like pickles. Yellow so mustard and pickles. ketchup on a toasted sesame seed. Did it have the yellow mustard? Need yeah, I say it more? Had all that. I, no, I just. <laughs> it's, uh, no, I, I, I just. I've never uh, been able to eat Burger King again after that experience. So. Well, more for me, Corey. Uh, 
Absolutely, yeah. Hey, go for it. <laughs> All right, so that will wrap things up for today's episode of He's Done It. Let's give another thank you to uh, Colton Corley for everything with the McDonald's Tray Challenge and coming on our podcast to talk about it. Um, so with that, for uh, Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. Oh, 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 oh,